I am Don Tess, better known as the Don of Beer. And I'm M. Sauter, better known as Pints and Panels. Welcome to the 29th episode of the All About Beer podcast. Every two weeks, we talk with leading experts and take a deep dive into one topic in beer. This week on the show, we're going to talk about the most wonderful time of the year, fresh hop beer season. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And please visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. So M, almost every new episode, we're setting new records for listeners. Yes, thank you to all our great listeners. And if you're new to the show, please smash that subscribe button. That way, every new episode will automatically get downloaded to your phone and you can listen to it at your leisure. This is true. And actually, the way podcast algorithms work, not only does subscribing to the show deliver new episodes to our fans, but having more subscribers actually helps us by bumping up the list of podcasts when people search for new podcasts. So there you go. Yes, please subscribe. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I I feel like when I said thank you very much, I sounded a little bit insincere. So I do want to say that again. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank sincerely. you. No, we mean it. We mean it. <laughs> um em yes please don't. tell me that you like fresh hop beers because if you don't it's friends off well don't lucky for you i do and <laughs> i love them when i lived in the pacific northwest i was awash in them they were they come in it's like un, it's unreal how when you live or are in the pacific northwest they're just everywhere for like a couple weeks and then they're gone because that's how they work and actually, yeah. one of the best beers I had this season was in South Africa. I had a fresh hop beer from Soul Barrel Brewing, and it was excellent. Was that made with South African fresh hops, or did they? I like believe fly so. Them yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. No. No. They've got a pretty like it's not robust um, hop, but they have they have some fresh hops. So yeah, yeah, it was it was a real treat. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you know, a couple episodes ago, we did an episode about historic IPA and. And we dispelled the myth that IPA should be fresh. But when it comes to fresh hop beers, the whole point is fresh. So hopefully, right after listening to this podcast, people will rush out to their favorite bottle shop or tap room and drink all of their fresh hop beers and post pictures of them on social media so we can see them. And uh, yeah, this place, uh, yeah, I, I so we like, can live vicariously through you. I'm oh, thinking about boy, fresh hop beers. And I got goosebumps. <laughs> you love this kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, please, if you would like to help support the All About Beer podcast, please reach out to us at podcast at allaboutbeer.com. Hi, this is John Hall, the editor of All About Beer. This episode of the All About Beer podcast is brought to you by Estrella Galicia. And I'm joined by Xavier Cubello from the brewery to talk about the history of Estrella Galicia. Welcome. And I'm hoping that you can share some more about Estrella Galicia and what it means to be a traditional lager brewery. As everybody knows, Spain doesn't belong to any of the four main brewing schools, American, Belgian, Central Europe, or British school. So all the traditional Spanish brewers, this is those more than one century old, follow a Central Europe brewing school, mainly lager beers. At Estrella Galicia, our brewing heritage is German. Our founder had advice and ingredients from Germany. His son, the first brewmaster in Spain, did brewing practices in Germany. And most of our historical and today's beers are German styles. I always say that we keep being traditional. We brew in just one brewery in our original town. We brew one recipe for each beer, no high gravity shortcuts. And we don't like using any additives, even in our alcohol-free beers. We just stick to traditional methods. We have been a local brewery for half of our history, supplying just the city of A Coruña in the northwest of Spain. The 60s was the moment to reach the whole of the region that gave us the name Galicia. And it was only 2011 when we launched our first Spain national marketing campaign. Thank you so much for that insight and for being a sponsor of this episode. And to learn more about Estrella Galicia, please go visit EstrellaGalicia.com. Jeff Daly is the sensory manager at John I. Haas in Yakima, Washington. Born and raised in Fort Collins, Colorado, Jeff grew up along with the craft brewing industry. After a career in law and corporate insurance, Jeff switched industries attending graduate school at Washington State University to focus on sensory science. Jeff has been with John I. Haas since 2019 and manages the trained sensory panels responsible for evaluating experimental hops from the hop breeding, pardon me, hop breeding company. 
innovative products from the research and development team and every grower lot of hops during harvest. Since starting at Haas, Jeff developed the Sensory Plus process for Lupomax hop blending, a new sensory lexicon and methods for detecting smoke taint in hops and methods for combining sensory and instrumental chemistry for characterizing and tracking the shelf life of hop-based products and beer. In his free time, Jeff enjoys reading, distance running, perfecting his home pizza recipes, not shedding up about Barclay Perkins. That's a nod to a episode we did. Uh, oh, actually, in fact, uh, the uh, historic IPA episode, wasn't it? That is true. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, more accurately, he enjoys reading into the history and anthropology behind what makes beer the most important of human experiences. And he enjoys drinking well-made well West Coast Pilsners. My apologies to Jeff uh, for flubbing up a couple of points in his bio. I think he'll forgive you. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having me, um, Don. Really happy to be here. Um, we're, we're glad so, you're here. Yes, we are glad you're here because you're going to tell us about hops. And uh, um, somebody once told me that hops is one of the ingredients used in beer. So I'm that's what, also what I've heard. Ready. So I'm really excited that we're going to finally <laughs> learn the truth. Yeah, what is what's in the the Reinheitsk about? It's uh, water, barley, mysterious ether, and hops. Yes, yeah. I think that's right. <laughs> uh, the Reinheitsk bot does not uh, specify whether hops should be wet or dry or fresh, um, but uh, specifically this episode, we want to talk about fresh hop beers or wet hop beers. Very quickly, what is the difference between fresh hops and wet hops? If there's a oh. difference, oh, that's a that is a controversial point. Hard question oh. right off the bat. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm fine. The, the brewers can decide what they want to call it, but I, I really think fresh hop means wet hop. I think anything beyond that, it's you know, ultra. When people like Zach, who makes amazing beer, when they're doing very freshly kilned hops, I think that's just they're making. They have an advantage when it comes to making normal beer in that way. Um, the the concept of fresh hop really did come out of those pre kilned wet hop beer. So I understand why we're trying to create terms to differentiate. Um, but there's just something about, you know, Sierra Nevada celebration. It's it's a it's a fresh hop. It's a wet hop. That, that is what it is. Okay. So in your mind, they're synonymous, basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So um, can you tell us a little bit about how hops are handled, such that wet hops slash fresh, fresh hops are different from quote unquote, regular hops. And I'm not speaking about you know, I'm, I'm speaking, I guess, about sensorily and and uh, that sort of thing. Like, what should people look for from a from a fresh hop or a wet hop? So, I think one of the the main differences is that with wet hops, there's a more intense chlorophyll and myrcene character that comes through, especially if you're dry hopping with the wet hop. Uh, it's definitely different. It, it's you can tell when a beer is a wet hop. When it's a fresh hop, it tastes extra fresh and delightful, but it still tastes more like a traditional IPA. Um, and in terms of the, the processing, you know, it, the processing itself leads into the chemistry, which leads into the sensory. You know, when wet hops are still wet, they are still fundamentally 80% water at that point. Uh, cell structures are intact uh, surrounding the, the lupulin uh, and the rest of the plant matter. And that makes extraction a little bit harder when it comes to getting those intense hoppy flavors that we prize from T90 pellets or freshly kilned hops. There's an advantage there um, for those uh, freshly kilned hops. Uh, they're, they're much closer to our traditional products. Um, and then, oh, and then, yeah, <laughs> no, it's totally cool. Um, trying to get in my next thought, which is when it comes to wet hop, you also have to be very careful how much and when you use them because there's still that high amount of water in the hop so once you pull it out of the off the vine once you take it out of the field uh, the plant starts to degrade uh, its shelf life shrinks dramatically where you really need to use those within maybe 48 hours on the outset uh, because mm -hmm. otherwise you'll get an extreme amount of oxidation when it comes to the alpha and beta resins that are are in the hops that are prized for the bittering um, because there's water in there, it makes all chemical reactions happen much more easily, more fluidly, uh, water fluid. Um, but kilning, even when fresh kiln halts that process, or at least dramatically decreases it. 
um, which is also why then we go to pelletization because it it extends the shelf life even further. So fresh and wet hops aside, when you're picking hops and kilning them and pelletizing them, that would occur within 48 hours too? Or at least that was, the process would start within 48 hours too? Yeah, um, oh. bales, sort of. Um, yeah. we, we, we do, once we get to a critical mass of kiln hops that are pressed into bales, we ramp up our pelletizing operations here. Um, the, the shelf life of baled hops is much longer. Uh, when hops right. are in, the, when they're in that freshly kilned, they're open to the environment. When you press them down into bales, there's less oxygen. Uh, there's a much smaller sur total surface area right, right. where oxidation can happen in the hops degrading the flavor. We're also putting them into, uh, you know, weather wrap bags, but they still call burlap, but it's not burlap. It's like the, the weather, um, lining on the outside of your house. Um, underneath the, the siding, uh, and it goes into cold storage. So all in all, uh, those those baled hops can be held at those temperatures probably about five or six months before oh, they wow. absolutely okay. need to be pelletized. Um, yeah, we've done some some great studies here. Uh, my team in R and D and Brewing Solutions at Haas, especially Alejandro Cortez. Um, we need to get on here at some point. I'll I'll make a note of that. He's he's phenomenal. Uh, but we've done these studies at a chemical and sensory brewing level, looking at both brewing with the whole cone, doing sensory on the whole cone, pelletizing them uh, as a shelf life every month, and looking at the differences in the sensory profiles of those beers. And yeah, it's, it's it, those bales, um, especially for varieties like Citra that has have a, a good storage index, about five to six months, and you're going to be making pellets that are still okay. But anything after that. Uh, you really start to pick up on those beer faults that come from stale hops, things like isovaleric acid and cheesiness and that. Right. I, those, as you, the, oh, go, go ahead. ahead no, no, you go ahead. Oh, okay. Oh, oh no, no, I insist. Uh, no, I'll go. All right. Um, the bales, um, are they in a refrigerated warehouse or are you yep. leaving them at a, okay. Cause I, you know, I, I know that refrigeration, I think of hops as like a salad and you'd want to keep lettuce, obviously. Uh, in a in a refrigerator versus on the shelf, but I didn't know if baled hops had a different, um, you know, I didn't know if it was more ambient. But if there, so like, is your refrigeration warehouse gigantic? Yeah, we we have acres <laughs> and acres of cold warehousing. Uh, you know, if, if you think about yeah, if you think about you know my company, Yakima Chief Hops across the road, Hop Steiner, uh, and how ninety five percent of hops in America are grown up here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I think what, what's the number this year? It's like 11 million pounds of hops compressed down into 200 pound bales. That's still a metric shit ton of bales. That's and so... yeah, I want to become but... a refrigeration person in the in Yakima. That seems <laughs> yeah. like a really like good job. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think you want to see our retainer bill. Uh... <laughs> yeah, you probably have to keep someone on staff, I would guess. Yeah. But anyway, um, I just I I know that hops need to be refrigerated i didn't know if bales were different when does the refrigeration start do you do you refrigerate if let's say i'm a brewer in new england that's where i live and i want to make a fresh hop beer with your hops can i order them for like priority overnight delivery in a big box from fedex or is that too insane no that that's something that's really common across uh, across the valley where individual farmers our companies too uh, customers reach out if they're willing to pay for the freight, uh, which if I remember the numbers, uh, who was at, um, at Left Hand Brewing in Colorado talked about overnighting quintupled the cost of the hops for for his particular beers. Uh, if, if they're willing to do it, we find ways to do it. I know, um, I think it was Ryan Hopkins um, over at YCH, he, he was trumpeting a couple years ago that they got fresh hops all the way to South Korea uh, within 24 hours. Wow. Wow. Um, that's an expensive beer. I, yeah, bet it was, but, I bet it was delicious, though. Thankfully, the regular price of hops is low, so it kind of doesn't make any difference. Done. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I have a, a very hard question for you. Do you think that fresh hops represent a truer flavor of the hops, or is it really just different? I, I think it's just different. True. Okay. As in true to tightness, that's that's pedantic. 
Okay. Uh, as with everything, you know, fresh or I, I am fairly just... pedantic, though. I gotta tell I, I, you. <laughs> yeah, I've listened to a couple episodes. I've listened to a couple episodes. Okay. Picking up on that. But I, I, I think Finnish beer is also uh, an analogy to look at this, you know, Orval, especially. What is true Orval? You know, there, there is uh, Swansea yeah. where it's the fresh Orval, then it ages into something else, something that people think is better. Um, they're purists when it comes to the wet hop. Uh, there are people that love the fresh hop, the freshly kilned hops. Uh, so much so that you know, Chief did come out with the that 301 and 303 products, the uh, IQF individually quick frozen fresh hops and uh, cryo pellets made with those fresh hops. Um, there's something about it that people do prize and treasure, um, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's the truest form of the hops because there's a there's there's important elements that come with the kilning. There is blowing off that excess myrcene mm -hmm. uh, that as a hydrophobic compound can I feel inhibit the extraction of the other uh, oh. more greatly appreciated compounds, the the esters and the ketones. Uh, it's why, in order to make a very hoppy, in the sense of a uh, fruit forward, uh, wet hop IPA, you need to use so many. It's not just that um, the high water content means that the oils are dilute. It means that it is harder to extract at the time. So uh -huh. I've heard. You know, some people bandy around a, a six to one ratio where if you normally put a pound of T90 in your whirlpool, you should do six pounds of wet hop. Whoa. From our, from mm -hmm. our experience here, that's about half of what you need. For a batch of beer, uh, our on-site brewers, uh, Jeff Barnes and Max Snyder, they recommend 30 to 40 pounds per barrel uh, in the whirlpool because of what it takes to extract all those compounds. They're inhibited by the moisture, not dilution, but the water content, the moisture content actually prevents that extraction uh, of the oils. Um, but also because of just how intense some of those fresh hop characters can be when we're looking for a balance between that chlorophyll, uh, that sharp mercy and the grassiness that is very true to wet hop beers, but balancing that against what people know to be the true, true type character for something like a citra or a mosaic or a sabro. So much. That, yeah, I um, as M likes to point out, I'm very nerdy, and I literally got goosebumps when you talked about mercy and being hydrophobic. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, uh, can you talk about um, kind of how harvest goes and how you guys at Haas, uh, John Ios, um, evaluate harvest quality, hop quality? Um, I know that there has been some talk on you know, social media and things about smoke taint and how do you deal with that, evaluate that, that sort of thing? Well, we, we mostly deal with that by uh, drinking heavily during harvest on. Uh, okay. Not... <laughs> it was the same way I deal with it. That's yeah, awesome. no, it's, it's great. Um, no, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. Some years it, it does feel like harvest never ends. Uh, hop quality is such an immersive and important part of our job here. Obviously being a hop company, I don't know why that might be, but it seems to be. Um, Really, harvest though does start about in July for my team because I, I have a large panel of trained panelists uh, that I use year round, about 30 people. And then I have a smaller, more select group, about seven, including myself, that starting in July, I start training them on a whole cone sensory. So we don't we don't do wet hop because that's not the state that hops come to us for processing. We we build up a library of freshly killed whole cone samples that we then vacuum seal, mylar, refrigerate, deep freeze uh, for year-round training uses. And we go through the, the process that I've developed in terms of the, the holistic evaluation of what a high-quality whole cone hop is. And that's everything from the, the color, the hue, the saturation, uh, tinting that's uh, a localized browning that could be caused by mite damage uh, or wind burn, things like that. We look for mold and mildew. I train them on how to do that. And then we move into the fun part, which is, you know, touching the hop, smelling the hop and getting them to understand what true to variety characteristics are there in that whole cone, because hop sensory is so different from beer sensory. It's not necessarily the profiles are different. It's how you go about dissecting the individual aromas. It's that as you smell whole cone hops, almost every single one, no matter the variety, when you're going from brewer's gold to a lamet. Uh, all the way up to the ultra intense New Mexicanus varieties like Sabro. There's always going to be an herbal component or a menthol, uh, plasticky eucalyptus component, uh, that spicy mercy component, a little vegetal component. It's 
learning how to smell past that, wait for that to kind of gas off or wait for your nose, your palate to become uh, basically attuned with that base hop aroma and then dissect through looking for those things that we prize about those varieties first and foremost. Mm. Um, and we do that for a couple of weeks uh, starting mid to the end of July in order to prime us. And then, you know, that third or fourth week of August, depending on the year, depending on the climate, uh, that's when we start rolling, uh, getting hops in from all over the Pacific Northwest. Uh, you know, early varieties include uh, crystal, you know, that banger, uh, that high volume, high acreage hop crystal uh, that everyone prizes, uh, but really going into Centennial and Cluster, two of which are my favorite, especially Cluster. Uh, if I can get on a soapbox for a second, Cluster is wildly underused in the hop forward uh, beer culture of you know, pales, IPAs, hazies. It's this wonderful, even though it's kind of low on the oil content, it's this wonderful ripe apricot, uh, which really seems to be in vogue these days. And I just, uh, people aren't looking at Cluster as a variety. But now I step off that soapbox and move into, <laughs> um, as we get towards you know the middle of September, that's when the thousands and thousands of acres of citra and mosaic are being harvested. So on a daily basis, Going back to that last week of August, we as a team, it's usually about four of us cycling through every couple of samples to uh, reset our palates. Uh, we go through this quality process, lot by lot, farm by farm, variety by variety, uh, in order to create uh, sensory and quality data that we can use to track uh, farm consistency uh, and grade them on their performance overall, but also based on the sensory profiles, the commentary that we collect as part of the process. Uh, we use that to First flag lots for some of our products like Lupomax, where, you know, if a customer doesn't select lot A of Citra, I'm going to, after harvest, I'm going to take that for myself and include it for my my blend to make, um, you know, this concentrated palette, the Lupomax. Um, and also if customers give us information ahead of time and they ask for the assistance, we can use our sensory data, our profiles to help direct individual lots to them during their selections in order to make the process more efficient. But we don't make a regular practice of that because it's a uh, pretty time intensive. Okay. Yeah. And then harvest wraps up normally the last, the, the first week of October, maybe the second week with uh, the high alpha varieties like CTZ and Pato. And because we're a hop company, always looking for more hops uh, to fill contracts, uh, make more extracts, things like that. I will occasionally get full cone samples from those bale stored uh, hops. Uh, with our supply chain team asking me, is this you know the right quality? I get these requests into December even. Uh, can you rate these hops and tell us if we, sh we should buy them on spot, just like brewers do on you know Lupulin Exchange, basically? Hmm. Hmm. Now uh, you, you talked about never, the dreaded yeah. smoke word. Oh no, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. No, I was nope. just gonna say it doesn't end. No, no. <laughs> well, really I can't, I can't believe how start how early it starts, and and basically you have a warm up, you have warm up training of your senses, right? Which I think is amazing. Like major league baseball of of hops, yes. you know, you get your spring training and you got your your postseason, and it's yeah, it doesn't end. Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to spring training this year because that might involve uh, going down to Australia and checking out the galaxy. Ah. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, very quickly before we forget, if you could touch upon smoke taint and I, I, you know, that's not the subject of this episode, so you don't have to go in depth, but yeah, well, I mean, the, the sub subject of the episode is harvest quality and hops and things like that. And smoke taint was a, a major concern the last couple of years, uh, you know, with climate change and everything fires all the way down to San Diego and all the way up to the, uh, Alouette islands in Alaska, those, that smoke based on weather patterns can just carry itself into the Columbia Valley and into the Yakima Valley and kind of sit here. Um, now there's been some great hypotheses out there. You know, we've, we've done collaborations with OSU, Colorado State University, uh, you know, across town, Tiffany Pitra, who runs their sensory program, she and I are in close contact and we mutually developed some new methods that are going through the ASBC for validation um, on how to diagnose smoke tape. But based on the cumulative research out there, we still don't necessarily know why smoke taint happens. Um, you know, some hypotheses say, and it, it does seem logical, you know, you, you put wet plant material into a box and you blow heat and smoky air from the outside in. It's almost like a smoker box for making like beef jerky. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen inconsistent results in that because we've gotten smoke tainted hops uh, in our system that came from days where it was clear outside when the, the 
the air quality score was you know below 50. It's a perfectly clear day, but the hops came out, they were smoky. We've had some experiments where it's, you know, is the smoke coming in? Is it in the field? Is it in the kiln? Is it the cooling condition pile where the cones, you know, go after the kiln and before they go into bale? Is it ba bales of compressed hops driving around in smoky air? Is that where it's picking up? And again, we've seen inconsistent results. Uh, my favorite hypothesis, honestly, is more akin to thinking about immune systems in humans or other animals. And plants, obviously, photosynthesis. It's the most important process of turning energy into the essential oils and alphas and things like that that we prize in hops. Now, smoke isn't just smoky. It crowds out the UV rays that plants use to photosynthesize. So if you have plants that are struggling along, that are weakened mm -hmm. because they aren't getting enough sunlight, then they aren't producing the high quality positive aromas that might otherwise crowd out or uh, cover over the minute amount of uh, smoke compounds that might be infiltrating the hops themselves. Right. But that's an incomplete hypothesis. There's it's just like all complex systems, it's multifactorial. There's probably a bunch of things going on, but at least one thing that we can rely on is climate dictates quality in the end. And if there's not sunlight, then there's not going to be quality for one reason or another. Right. Well, that's fascinating. I like I like that a lot. Um, back to fresh hops specifically, uh, and you were talking about how quickly you know they have to be used forty eight hours. I do understand that there some people have made some efforts to preserve fresh hops longer. And could you maybe talk about that? And and quite simply, why can't fresh hops be pelletized like why why do you have to kill them why can't you just uh, uh pelletize wet hops and then as you say pack them down and refrigerate them and put them in mylar bags and all that sort of stuff no that's it's a great question and um you can't just pelletize fresh hop uh, because that that moisture content that's in there combined with the oils uh, which can make up to four percent of the plant matter as well along with the alpha and beta resins, you add moisture to that combination and you run it through our, our hammer mills and our pelletizers, you're, you're dealing with syrup and you're trying to turn syrup into pellets and it just ends up not working. Um, some of the other efforts out there in, involve, yeah, flash freezing uh, and bagging those, which seems to work. The, the, pro the products out there that do that seem to be pretty high quality. There's also steam distillation of wet hops in order to bring out more of that mercine and chlorophyll character. Um, there's some other op options that we're looking into even uh, because there is just, there's uh, in the community, there's just a love for wet hops. Um, yeah. Hmm. Emma, as usual, I'm dominating all the questions. No, because you're a big nerd you. and I respect that. <laughs> um, I do want to know, when you're growing hops or, you know, treating them or whatever you're doing, or you're, when you're thinking about, do you ever go into like a row and you're like, these are the fresh hops and then these are the pelletizer. Is there any kind of sensory difference or growing difference or harvesting difference for fresh hop varieties, or is it all just kind of the same? And then whatever's picked goes. There's sort of that second element. Um, I would love to be in a position where, I can walk the fields every day and and brewers come to town like no you, i know you maybe had a plan for something else but this this row of citra right here is perfect um that would be great that'd be dynamic harvest timing like uh you know eric demery and alex noel have been talking about the last couple of years um but in reality it does come down to we have your dust even the family farms we are industrial operations and we start to harvest whole fields uh when they're ready based on basic, some basic chemical testing, like uh, dry matter content. And so brewers roll into town. And a lot of times, um, if they're the local collaborations in the Northwest, they just take what's what's ripest, take what's about to be harvested, because it's going to have the best chance of producing a high quality uh, wet hop beer. Right. Um, yeah, that totally makes sense. Reality. Um, we don't deal in reality around here. It's just inconvenient. <laughs> it's, a little, it's, it's a little reality, a little magic, you know? Well, so speaking of the inconvenience of reality, um, supplying fresh ops, you know, it sounds like uh, almost a labor of love. Like it sounds like kind of a pain in the butt. 
So <laughs> why do you do it? It's it's for the love of the game, uh, you guys. It's we we supply it because people want it, and fundamentally we're a business, and they'll pay for it. But at the same time, I wouldn't be working in hops if I didn't love hobby beer. Uh, and I think that's the same for the people who put in the effort uh, to drive in from Seattle, to drive in from uh, Idaho, to drive in from. I know there are people that, that have they they bust their humps and drive in with U-Hauls all the way from like Colorado, um, or that they pay that extra fee to overnight hops. They just, they, they love the beer itself. They love the challenge of extracting those great flavors from a wet hop because uh, pellets are kind of cheating. If you want to look at it from that perspective, or they're just you know more consistent, easier to use and relatively more affordable. Uh, but you know, breweries aren't businesses, right? You're not in. Yeah. <laughs> Some are, uh, but, but that's another conversation. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> But yeah, it, it, it is a love of things because otherwise it is a giant pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for um, putting the effort into making fresh hop beers. I personally Agreed. am a fan. Um, also, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. When you get a good fresh hop beer, oh, there is sublime. There's nothing. I got a fresh hop category at JBF last year when I was judging and I don't know who brewed it. But it was the best beer I had of the entire week. And it was, mm. I still think about that fresh hop beer. Man, that's uh, that good. My favorite thing about fresh hop beers is the extra mirror scene, which is hydrophobic. Nice. <laughs> you would, Don. Uh, but um, Jeff has to deal with hops that are uh, degrading as we speak. So we need to let you go, sir. I wanted to uh, thank you again. And But before you go, could you please uh, so share your social medias and, and uh, any place, anywhere, ugh, any place people should follow what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can you can find me on Instagram at at wmdaily d a i l e y. Uh, if you look at d a i l y, that's someone else altogether. I don't know what they're up to. Uh, I don't I don't really use the Twitter X machine. Um, yeah, Instagram is my primary follow. You can also follow uh, some of the stuff that I'm doing on through uh, Instagram with at haas h a a s underscore hops haas hops. Or uh, we do a lot of work with Yakima Valley hops here in town. Uh, so any of those three, if you're familiar with them, check them out, especially during harvest. And we have some just amazing pictures of the hard work that goes into getting these hops out to the world. Uh, awesome. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. Thank you, Don. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Great meeting yep. you finally. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. Let's try, let's go to, John, let's go to Yakima and drink some fresh hop beers next year. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thank Cheers. you. Estrella Galicia is an independent family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain, founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager, brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Acruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram. All About Beer is back. And we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Zach Turner is the co-founder of Single Hill Brewing in downtown Yakima, Washington. Single Hill focuses on a diverse array of hop-forward and drinkable beers made in the heart of hop country. Prior to opening Single Hill, Zach learned his trade while working as the Technical Solutions Director at Yakima Chief Hops, and before that, as Quality Manager at Odell Brewing. Welcome to the show, Zach. Hey, Don. Thanks for having me. So uh, I have never been, so please do tell us a little bit about Single Hill Brewing, including the significance of your name for those who might not know why Single Hill is important. Sure. So Single Hill Brewing is in downtown Yakima. We're a little 15 barrel brew house, about 2000 barrels per year brewery. Um, we opened in 2018. So we're just kind of getting our feet under us still. The significance of our name is in hop breeding. One of the later stages of breeding a hop involves planting the new crosses out in what like basically every breeder calls a single hill field where each one of those plants they call them 
are planted in a hill is a different genotype. So like a different individual cross mm -hmm. from, you know, whatever the breeder's intent was. And from that moment, they're going to, it's the first time that hop grows to a full trellis height. And that's where the breeder and where brewers will go to and um, pull cones and do a rub and sniff and kind of evaluate whether or not the hop has any quality brewing characteristics, um, particularly for aroma. And as long as the hop continues through the single hill field with good agricultural characteristics and smells delicious and kind of picks up some interest from brewers, that's where it will advance to a, a later stage of hop breeding and become a whole new variety. So we take our name from that single hill field, which every hop breeder has got a single hill field somewhere and they're pretty fun to explore if you ever get a chance. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. So given your location right in Yakima, um, mm -hmm. my first question is, do you have a room I can crash in overnight when I come down for mm -hmm. hop harvest next year? And secondly, uh, can you tell us about, you must have an intense fresh hop beer program. So um, can you tell us about that? Mm -hmm. um, we just got a spare couch. So okay. we've had one for a while, <laughs> but the new one, it looks like it'll support the weight of one adult. So there you go, not... John. <laughs> All set. Oh, it even folds, it even folds flat. Nice. Wow. So yeah, yeah. It All has right. a sign on it that says, don't lean too hard because... I guess it's not actually very strong, but anyway, <laughs> so you can, you can stay with us. If we need to only a couple of people have ended up sleeping on couches here. <laughs> we, we try not to set that precedent. Yes. Um, especially during fresh out time, because we do have a pretty, in, pretty intensive fresh out program, which we have a lot of fun with and leads to a lot of late nights where we don't really want people sleeping on the couches. <laughs> right. That would, be a bad person. Um, but anyway, what we do, we we do a lot of fresh ups these days. The program has basically evolved into around 10 brew days a year during hop harvest. And so this year we're doing 10 different brew days, basically two per week, starting the first week of Yakima hop harvest, which is typically the last week in August or the first week in September, depending on what the mix of varieties the farm is growing. So we, we try to get one in around August 23rd, 24th every year, to kick things off and we'll continue through about September 22nd is the last one we have scheduled this year. Um, and our beers are fairly unique in the world of fresh hops in the way we formulate them. We've decided back in 2020, I believe, that we would kind of go all in on fresh up for every single aspect of the beer. Mm -hmm. So the the typical fresh up, I think, in the general brewer's mind and consumer's mind involves wet, fresh picked hops that haven't gone through a kiln. And those are most often used either in a hop back, so infused in hot wort before knocking out, or in the other approach, infused into beer at dry hopping time, or infused into finished beer right before packaging. That's, I think, what most people have in their mind of like what a fresh hop beer is. Mm -hmm. The alternative would be using freshly dried hops and using them just really soon after they were dried. Um, a good example of that would be like Sierra Nevada Celebration, where right. they're taking bales down as quick as they can get them selected and shipped. And then they're getting them into a celebration. And so that's a fresh hop beer in the sense that they're using the current crop year while like harvest is still ongoing and they're trying to like capture that freshest moment in that hop. Right. But it has been killed, but they have been killed. Yeah. But it has been killed, but like yeah. it's still fresh. Right. It's just, yeah. uh, yeah. Cause it's only days old. So what we do here is we kind of do, both of those things, we take fresh, unkilled wet hops and use a bunch on the hot side in the hop back. And then we take fresh dried, so fresh kilned hops. And for every other place, you might put hops in beer, like in the Whirlpool, the bittering hops, other kettle hops, dry hop. Um, we'll use fresh dried hops that we pelletize ourselves into um pretty normal hop pellets and then use like a normal hop. It just, the difference is we might've picked them, picked them up at a farm, you know, an hour ago, and then we'll pelletize them and put them in the beer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's kind of the model in the method that we've settled on primarily for all the fresh hop beer we make. So usually with wet hop beers, where someone's using wet hops in the hop back or they're infusing it later at dry hop, that beer is also being built and created with T90 hop pellets that came from a hop supplier and probably from a different crop year. That's just okay. normal. And what's what makes sense for most people because the beer still needs typically more complexity than you're just going to get from wet hops on the hot side. So then they get dry hopped with some combination of, you know, typical IPA hops, but just from a hop supplier. Right. So your, um, your fresh hop beers are a hundred percent fresh hop and you're, and, and that would be unusual. Is that fair? Correct. hundred percent fresh up, hundred percent current crop. Right. Okay. So, and why do you bother to go through the step of pelletizing if it, if you're going straight? I guess I think of pelletizing as almost a method of of preserving hops or or improving their shelf life. But but if yeah. you're using them right away, why do you bother pelletizing? Mostly from a process standpoint. Um, first couple of years, we did a lot of fresh dry that we shredded. Um, well, I guess taking a step back. We could, of course, use fresh dried cones, baled or unbaled, and just put them in bags and dry hop that way or put them in the whirlpool in bags. But like our brewery is not particularly well set up to use hops that aren't pellets. Oh, so it's I just see. sort of a, there's a practical aspect. And that's going to be the case for most breweries. They're like whole cone is just pretty hard to handle. Um, if you yeah, want to okay. avoid transferring beer between tanks to do your dry hops, um, that kind of thing. So right. by pelletizing it, we can get it into a form where we can get it into the beer just using pretty standard practices. Um, you can shred hops and shove them in the top of the tank, but they're so fluffy that getting them into the beer is a challenge and hmm. getting them to settle out is hard. Fluffy hops. So Fluff, yeah. <laughs> really. Um, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to expound on how ridiculous it is putting fresh, oh. <laughs> dried ground up hops into a tank it's like jumping in 55 gallon trash cans of fluff and then pushing it down through a manway it's kind of what that looks like um you mentioned of of course the significance of single hill your, your name and that you mm-hmm. grew you know as many as 10 fresh hop beers in a season so presumably each of those is each of those 10 is a single hop fresh hop beer is that yeah. correct <clears throat> they are not um oh they're not okay that's kind of the other thing about just being in Yakima, we're, our focus around fresh hop beers is really around celebrating harvest and sharing the experience like as much as we can. Just because we're able to pretty quickly on a moment's notice make arrangements with the farm and go out and pick up hops and bring them back and make beer with them. Um, kind of everything else we've done is to make it a bit more complicated for us and like to share the experience with other people. So for those like 10 different brew days we're going to do this year nine of them end up being collaborations and each one of those collaborations might have three different groups or five different people they end up being very large groups in a lot of cases okay and so we're like kind of we're formulating the recipes in a lot of cases around first off like who's coming to visit and like what kind of group is it what kind of farms are going to be really interesting to them or do they have personal connections to a particular grower they want to go source hops from and then sometimes that defines the day that we're going to make the beer as well so like an example was the beer we brewed yesterday we had a large group come out and that brew date was pretty set so we knew that we were going to get hops on a particular day and we also knew that we were going to get hops from three three farms because that's what the kind of tradition behind that beer was but we didn't know what varieties we were going to get so the brew, the beer's recipe essentially came together like on the road during like a four to six hour like road trip between hop farms. Oh, visiting wow. Them, visiting them, touring the farms with the group that we've brought along, including some of our staff. We always take like new employees and um, just to like, share the experience and get everyone some better understanding of how hop farming works and what harvest is all about. And then we're getting hops kind of at the same time. And since we're visiting multiple growers, we're usually making a blend of hops based on what each of those growers is picking that day. So yesterday, two of the farms were in Citra and one was in Kashmir. 
and like they just switch over in one case switch over from Helios to Kashmir and the other case they'd switch over from Columbus to Citra and like if we had been a day earlier since we were kind of locked in on wanting to go to those farms like the recipe would have been vastly different if we had ended up with Citra Helios and Columbus I've like never made any beer with Helios for instance um but we would have ended up probably shifting the recipe into like making a West Coast IPA to take advantage of the fresh Columbus, fresh early when you, Columbus or something. And when you're altering the recipe, it is it just in response to, okay, now we found out it's going to be cashmere and citra. Uh, but also in the field, you're actually picking mm -hmm. the hop and you smell it and goes, this particular cashmere is way more X than than I'm used to in cashmere. And then do you further adjust the recipe or or do you just do it based on hop variety? It, yeah, it's, I would say it's typically not quite that nuanced. It might be the case where like <clears throat> the citra we find is in a later picking window and it's got a lot more like intensity or a little bit of garlicky or extra sulfury character to it. But we might say like, let's instead of getting 300 pounds of this, let's go ahead and just get 100 because oh, okay yeah. if we if we use the original amount then i think it would overpower the other hop we ever going to pair it with um i think only in extreme cases are we it's unlikely we're going to encounter a situation where like Ooh, that's that doesn't smell good and we're not going to use that um, we're already kind of making arrangements with farms Emma, are you at, still ti there? at times where they uh, oh. they should be picking good hops it's interesting how you amenable you have to make yourself and yeah. your group but that must be very mm -hmm. exciting as a brewer to kind of the unknowing the not knowing totally i mean it's a very fun and fluid way to make beer and like a lot of baking beer is this very specific highly detailed process driven thing that you're aiming for consistency all the time and this is not that um we've optimized the overall brewing process around it as best we can but then the recipe itself is something that in our case is almost always the last thing we figure out um, i don't you know, yeah to... i don't know any brewery doing that like are it's they not you, a yeah do you know con... of other breweries that are doing it or do you because you have the do you think you have an advantage by being in yakima that you can you can do something like this slash obligation yeah <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think it heads towards that obligation say. Like we, it's our <laughs> it's it's like our opportunity and it's our you know our privilege is to be able to maintain really strong relationships with a lot of farms and go out on quick notice with big groups of people and basically run like super beer nerd tourism and <laughs> pick up hops along the way and then make fresh hops with with people and uh so yeah, it's you must... the way that we're able to make recipes and usually make them pretty tasty. Like, I guess on the to follow up on this whole concept and how it works, like just immediately before this, before recording this, I was sitting at our bar with our head brewer and we he had done inventory of all the pellets that we had, we've saved from pickups so far. And then we're basically making a big like handwritten spreadsheet matrix of the five beers in tank right now that we need to dry hop. And then the list of hop varieties by farm that we got them from, you know, I think we had at least a dozen different choices and then starting to place them. Like we're going to need 45 pounds of this citra for this beer, this 30 barrel batch. We're going to need four pounds for this five barrel batch. And like um, kind of seeing how our inventory can like fit the beers that we have in progress and then finding the holes and then going in um, basically texting other farms and seeing if we can go out later today to get some mosaic and some 586 and stuff like that to round out those beers and like finish building the dry hop recipe because we need to dry hop today everything that we brewed last week um it's pretty fun it's it's involved uh but it's a pretty interesting way to make beer um yeah, yeah i can I, <laughs> and, and it sounds yeah i mean it sounds daunting honestly um <laughs> There's a lot and, of uh, lot of texting. Well, I, I think that <laughs> even um, for breweries every day, they're managing their tank space. They're they are uh, scheduling out their brews. 
making sure they have the right ingredients for their brews and that this beer will be ready in time to empty the tank so that the next beer can go into it and everything. Given that hops are an agricultural product, you mentioned that, you know, you don't know if the first fresh hop beer is going to be end of August or beginning of September. How, how do you manage, you know, the physical tank space? Um, do you always have various grains on, on hand to, to be flexible for when you're, collaboration partners come in and no oh, I I, I want to use you know caramel malt in mine or what like how do you manage all of this um I'd say the malt side is the easiest one to address because the recipes don't tend to vary very much occasionally okay. we'll like rope in a you know one of our malt suppliers to like participate in the collaboration and maybe they'll want to come out to the farms too so we'll order that stuff ahead um we we do end up having you know a conference call with most of the collaborator groups to plan a plan the collab day as best we can and we're generally aware enough of what the situation at the farms will be with enough time ahead that we can we can get a get the malt built basically where it needs to be we're not going to make some massive change to the brew brew day plan in most cases so that's not the hardest thing to manage Okay. The timing, timing on the early ed, end is definitely like a little edgy, um, but it's the same way for all the hop farms. They're all just trying to figure out like when to start picking because they want to, they need to get going, but they also need to make sure that it's ready and they right. need to make, they need to get going so that they have enough capacity to get through the crop when it is ready. Um, so it's a fun time of year for us and for the hop growers. And in our case, it's just trying to give them enough space to figure their stuff out before we start making inquiries, trying to line up our own schedule because we we re- we want to follow them. We want, we don't want to get in the way. Um, we lean on Oregon for those early hops to create more complexity because Oregon starts typically a week earlier than Yakima this year. In some cases, a couple weeks earlier. Um, is that just because they're further south, or is there a difference? Yeah. Okay. I think it's just the lower latitude, yeah. um, milder weather, but probably primarily latitude. Hops are so photoperiod sensitive that every year some growers are speculating July and August, like, oh, it's going to be so early or it's going to be so late this year. And what they mean by that is like plus or minus three days from like the exact same day as last year. Oh, <laughs> I see. Okay. And, and like, <laughs> it's really when the reality hits, it's like most often the case. Um, uh, with the exception of the really early varieties like Centennial in Washington, often can it can move quite a bit based on whether or not it had some like, heat stress events or whatever else kind of messed that variety up for the year. Simcoe can sometimes get pushed a little early, but even with guys complaining about it this year, there were plenty of people picking Simcoe like on the exact same schedule as every other year, you know, so it varies a little bit. Um, and we just we just have to be flexible on our end. Yeah. So. Okay. You always have some tank space available, I guess. We do. I mean, we make so many of these, and there's sort of a, a good and bad trend in Washington that the beer drinker is really aware of fresh hop beer, yeah. and the beer buyers are very aware of fresh hop beers. That like you really can't sell IPA that's not fresh hop. It feels like in in <laughs> September, and uh, into at least mid October. So. Uh, we just need to get the tanks, brew all the beer that is not going to be fresh up in August, and then keep our tanks mostly available for fresh up. For fresh up. Uh, um, you know, we've touched upon this a little bit, uh, how hard it is for you scheduling and, and time-wise and coordinating all the people and the farms and everything. So, like, why do you love making fresh up beers? And then for consumers uh, who maybe are unfamiliar what's mm-hmm. what does fresh hop bring to a beer that that you want consumers to understand and appreciate because obviously you're you're not going through all this effort for nothing so mm-hmm. so what should consumers appreciate uh from it well in terms of why i enjoy this a lot like it's i moved to yakima 10 years ago from colorado i grew up in northwest washington I've been homebrewing since 2000 and 
four ish and like kind of the entire time even as a homebrewer i was making fresh hop beers or at least wet hop beers um and while i was working at odell in colorado we would do it kind of in, as an annual tradition going to the western slopes to get hops from some of the small growers out there and i just find the whole process to be pretty fascinating i've always been interested in farming and agriculture also studied plant physiology so I like have a fascination with plants and I make beer. So like fresh shop is kind of the ideal way to put all those things together. Plus the like community aspect of it. Okay. What the overall mission of single hill is, is to make like a positive contribution to our communities, like to Yakima, to the brewing profession a little bit and to our employees. And fresh shop is one of those places where kind of all of those can combine a little bit because of the, sharing the experience aspect of it getting people out into agriculture experiencing hops experiencing harvest meeting hop growers you know people that, that might not normally like hang out with in day-to-day -day life and uh make make some really interesting beer together and have this fun shared experience that is pretty totally unique at this at this point mm -hmm. and that's why i really love it I think it's super fun for that reason. It kind of takes up a vast amount of time and is pretty difficult on like family life, but it's worth it for the most part. <laughs> and then uh, for community, for uh, consumers, I think there's a chance to experience a little bit of what I was just talking about, about all the things that go into these beers. Like there's a, there's the, the actual flavor of the beer and then there's just sort of like the thinking about all the aspects that went into it if people chose to dig in we have on every one of our canned beers like we have the way we're able to print right directly onto labels like every farm and every variety that went into each beer so like there's like the story is told uh on the can even though we don't know the plan when we order labels like we just we could print on the labels as we can it um, the specific farms we can make those call outs we document it really well in instagram where we went and who we talked with and how we made the beer so there's a lot of story that can be reached if you're drinking our beer and then the flavor of them themselves like these tend to be not just like wet hop beers but we're really trying to make these our most outstanding ipas of the year so they do have a depth of character that i think is beyond most ipa like a richness and a saturated hop character that uh, ends up being just more and more unique than most IPA that you find out there. Um, well, well, like it, let's say, so, let's say Citra is my favorite hop. Mm -hmm. Will I still recognize it as Citra or does it taste that different? Or is it just more intense, fresher? How would you describe it? Probably intense rounder fresher oh. i mean citrus are one of those that can be pretty different depending on when it's picked too so so far the citra we've used has all been kind of early and so it's going to be softer and uh more of a like light citrus without too much like heaviness or cattiness to it um and i think the other interesting thing about the single hill fresh hops is like if you are a person who like is tracking this a little bit and when a new release comes out you're gonna try to find it you can kind of taste like the character of harvest as the varieties that are being picked changes okay. like the early ones are gonna have a particular a, more of a generally a greener maybe lighter slightly citrusy like flavor to them on the on the front side of harvest because the varieties being picked are more, uh, you know, little, maybe a little more mellow. They might be more on the early, early side of their pick windows. So they don't have much sulfur, caddy intensity to them. And then as we go later into harvest, like the intensity tends to build across most varieties that are out there because everything's becoming later and later in their pick windows. And the mixture of varieties has shifted from early beers being Centennial Strata, Simcoe driven to mid beers being Citra, Mosaic, maybe a little Amarillo, we'll find some experimentals in there. The late ones can be all over the place uh, because at that point, like so many different varieties are being picked simultaneously. Uh, 
And we end up with some hop combinations that we would never do in a normal brew just because of what we're able to find in a particular week. We're like pushed into a certain direction, like, wow, that's a really amazing comment. Let's go ahead and get a hundred pounds of that, incorporate that into mm. this next dry hop. Um, kind of those on the fly decisions. Right. Awesome. So I think, yeah, uh, something that is possible with our beers is like to kind of step in to this world of hop varieties and farms and how it changes over time and just like try beers that are going to be different than you've, you've had before. Yeah. I, I really like the idea of being able to taste the agriculture as you put it. And, uh, and so I really like that. Em, any other questions? Yes. I want to know what your brewery is like during hop harvest, because I bet it's a vibe. <laughs> it's mad. It's madness, <laughs> but extremely fun. Um, we also are, we're very open here. Um, you know, the brew to the, the door to the brew house is never locked, even though we put a lock on it this year, just in case, but it's not locked <laughs> at this point. Just in case I um, showed up. Yep. Oh yeah. I don't know. We we're going to host a really big private party at the end of the month. So we were just thinking ahead to uh, when we have, when we have a lot, like a, a lot of people in here, we might, if we needed to, if we got too rowdy, we needed to lock it down. But uh, yeah, since we're in the middle of um, Yakima, Yakima sees a tremendous amount of brewer visitors. So kind of like think of the brewery as like, it's kind of a brewer's brewery, especially in this, this month. So we'll have, I mean, in any given day from the end of August through the first week of October, the there will be brewers in the tap room. There'll be people working for the hop companies and suppliers, um, hosting their own brewers in town, sharing beers, a lot of like side conversations, a little business being conducted, maybe a late night, late night dice game on the patio or in the brew house. Um, since we brew twice, fresh hop brewers twice a week, and then we're pelletizing one or two other days like there's often like crew just kind of hanging out around the pellet mill in the back pitching in a little bit like helping me bag things off or feed the pellet mill or transfer bags uh so there's a lot of things happening it's definitely a little bit of a brewer's it's a it's a place to be if you're a brewer in yakima this time of year try some good beers meet some new brewers make some connections it's like a 45 day long conference um sounds lovely in a it's it's pretty fun if you can uh manage to balance your work life home lifestyle <laughs> just yeah, really the challenge for... <laughs> uh every few days i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yesterday um, we were we was a 13 hour day here i think between leaving for fresh shops and being totally wrapped up with what we had to do at least for me are your hands completely green now we have brother alcohol <laughs> okay yeah, true. uh zach thank you uh for your time and all of the uh, information uh how can people keep track of what you're doing and and see the amazing beers that you're that you're serving your social media handles website all that sort of stuff yeah um so andrew handles marketing and photography for us and he's doing an excellent job getting really well documented brew days on the instagram just to, i think it's single hill brewing pretty easy to find and that's going to be the number one resource for following what we're up to and kind of trying to live a little bit vicariously through what we're up to. Beers are, are available in Seattle area, Portland, Bellingham, Yakima. So a little bit all around the Northwest right now, or come to the tap room, try them yourself. Very awesome. cool. Thank you, Zach. Thank you. Very yeah. Much, let me yeah. know if you're ever coming to Yakima and we'll show you a good time. Yeah, it's not an if. Yeah, it's not an if. No, it's not an if, it's a win, yeah. We'll let you know. Awesome. Reinforce that couch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> cheers, Zach. Thank you. Yeah, th thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you for uh, chatting with me. So, Em, how thirsty are you right now? Oh, my gosh. I'm I've, I'm parched, Don. I'm, I'm positively <laughs> parched. Um, there was so much good info. What was your favorite? There was so much. Uh, I don't like, I don't even know. You know what go. my favorite part was? Mirror scene and oh my god, you and your damn mirror scene. <laughs> I love I just love that stuff. Um, I'm really sad though because I actually have not seen any fresh hot beers in my local market yet. Obviously. Neither have I have not either. Yeah. Um, but they're not pretty, they're not that um they're not that uh well known here in Connecticut. And is in that New right? Yeah, it's not really a thing. Oh, 
you're maybe because it's mount you're in the mountain time when i go to denver next week for gabf i will i i seek them out yeah i look for them i also like i really enjoyed i want to try fresh hop other styles like you and i oh, have to go, I we have we got to go to yakima i want to try any like i want to see what what uh fresh hop beer zank's making at single hill next year Yes. So I think I think we've got another trip on our hands. <laughs> I think so just, too. Just saying. Really, I, I should just sell my house and travel around drinking beer. <laughs> <laughs> you could do that. <laughs> okay, everybody, please visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And if you're feeling generous, please visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. If you have questions for the experts, email podcast at allaboutbeer.com. That's also the email for feedback, suggestions, or to inquire about supporting this show through advertising. Hi, this is John Hall, the editor of All About Beer. And this episode of the All About Beer podcast is brought to you by Astrea Galicia. And I'm once again joined by Xavier Cabello from the brewery. And earlier, we were talking about history and lager brewing, and I want to keep on that thread. You were a local brewery for many years, and today you are a leader in the Spanish market. Talk to me about that evolution. We are the fourth brewery in Spain, far from the first. Actually, the first national campaign in 2011 had a slogan, something like, we should know each other. Since then, the growth has been constant. The quality of our beers, our philosophy, our character has conquered more and more hearts every year. Although it is not the most sold beer, a very important brand survey shows how customers consider Estrella Galicia their preferred beer. In this survey, every year, Estrella Galicia's black and red colors more and more provinces in the map of Spain as the favorite beer. We had a dream not so many years ago. It was like this. We don't want to be the best seller, just the most loved beer in Spain. And the dream is becoming true. Should we aim for that in the States? Well, that would be too much with all the amazing breweries you have. Myself, I would be happy if it was just a loved beer by those who get to know it. Actually, I'm sure it will be. Thank you so much and for being a sponsor of this episode. Everybody listening, to learn more about Estrella Galicia, please visit EstrellaGalicia.com. Em, how can people find you on social media? I am at Pints and Panels across all social media, and my website is PintsandPanels.com. How about you, Don? I am at The Donna Beer on Twitter, threads, and Instagram, and people can drop me an email at Don at TheDonnaBeer.com. This show is produced by All About Beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com for articles, notes on this show and others, and to connect via the newsletter and social media. Cheers. Cheers. Don loves Mercine. I love Mercine. <laughs>